today on the Tearsheet Podcast. And I don't think stable coins by definition are in the mainstream yet or even fully understood. But when you explain to someone that a stable coin is a dollar, you know, in our case, you know, one dollar in equals one dollar of digital, you know, USDP out. That's something I think people can put their 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 brains around. Um, I think for stable coins, it's not a matter of of if anymore, but when and how and what are the use cases that come up uh, for stable coins to really be viable. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet editor in chief Zach Miller. As the industry looks at what's happening in crypto, there's emerged an idea that the way the financial industry bridges the old world with the new is via stablecoins, like crypto tied to the US dollar, for example. Is that true? To explore this idea, I sat with Mike Cassetta, head of revenue at Paxos. As an infrastructure player, his firm works with many of the top brands with crypto offerings, like PayPal. I wanted to know more about stablecoins and some of the trends at play here. The following is my conversation with head of revenue at Paxos, Mike Cassetta. Hey, Zach. Um, I'm Mike Cassetta. I'm the head of revenue at Paxos and uh, puts me in charge of, of all of our sales, business development, partnerships, customer success, uh, our trading ecosystem. And, you know, we work with the most regulated, you know, highest quality enterprise businesses in the world, um, you know, really looking to bridge the gap between the traditional world that they know and come from and excited to enter the, the future of whatever we want to call it, Web3, crypto, um, the future of stable coins. There's, there's a lot we touch on and, uh, you know, Paxos is an enterprise infrastructure business. So we, we love to power our customers and give them a chance to really compete uh, in the modern financial world. Awesome. At Tearsheet, we talk about that intersection you just described, Mike, as uh, the bank chain. So like banking mm-hmm. and, and blockchain kind of together. Let, let, let's talk about, um, before we talk about anything specific like stablecoins, which is, I do have a few questions sure. for you. Like, where are we and where do you think we are in this rollout? Um, you're an enterprise infrastructure company. You're working with some of the best brands out there. Um, where are we if you were looking at this as a, I know, use, use whatever metaphor you want. Is It's a four quarter game. It's a nine innings, whatever. <laughs> Um, where do you, or, or just, I guess, place us on a map. Sure. I, I, I'd say just at a very high level, we are still extremely early. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a new market in many, many ways. I think people are learning not only just what the infrastructure has to be to power this market, what the assets within the market have to be, what are the use cases of them? And as you think about these things, the consumer changes, businesses change, regulations change, Macro events happen and, and could be catalysts or you know could be hindrances to the expansion and development of these markets. So in a nine inning baseball game, uh, we're probably in the second inning. You know I think we're still getting our players adjusted and aligned, and I think we're still trying to figure out you know the game we're playing because the field is changing, the size of the field is changing, the shape of the field is changing, and I think that makes it incredibly fascinating and interesting. At the same time, you know it could be terrifying. Uh, and for a business or a person who's been in this space, meaning finance or financial services for decades, um, you know, this could be really, really, uh, you know, vertiginous and, and drive you kind of a little mad trying to figure out what is the game we're trying to play um, and how can, who can help? How can people help? What do we do short term, medium term, long term? And I think there's a very long game in front of us. I think that was a great way to describe it. So, so what do we need, Mike, I guess, to accelerate adoption, to move into the next further innings? What are some of the, the hurdles here? Yeah, I mean, I think just like if, to use the game analogy, not to beat it to death, but, you know, games tend to have pretty clear dimensions of mm-hmm. what is the shape and size of the, you know, the field we're, we're, we're playing on and acting on. Uh, and they tend to have a very clear set of rules. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a place where I, I think regulation is not only inevitable, uh, but I actually think it's really desired. Uh, I think regulation gives clarity. Uh, I think regulation in many cases gives people the opportunity to showcase trust, stability, certainty, things that people typically want associated with money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when when money loses that you know, stability, certainty, and trust, it, you, know, you tend to see a lot of inefficiencies and a lot of problematic things that start to happen you know, in the world. So I would say a clear set of rules. And I would just say for companies exploring the space and thinking about what is possible, just to identify short-term opportunities, what are, what are quick wins? What are quick opportunities that could be solved and fulfilled, you know, using new technology, whether it's blockchain broadly, whether it's cryptocurrency very specifically, whether it's a stable coin, you know, to, to do things that maybe the company's always envisioned to do. So I think curiosity and creativity are also needed. Um, right now, because this is a new era, uh, and I think there are possibilities here that that maybe no one ever thought were possible. Uh, but but with blockchain, they truly become not only possible, but probably also inevitable. So it's interesting that you said that it, it's calling on uh, creativity, um, and for an industry that's heavily regulated and looking for some clarity um, from regulations, it's hard to be creative in in that in that milieu. Like how, like how would you encourage a client or a prospect that you're talking to? Um, to be creative within within this sort of this game without clear rules, without clear. I mean, there, I guess there is a clear uh, point system, and that's money. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, it, it's still sort of you know we're still trying to make our way through this all. Yeah. So I'll answer that in a few ways. I, I think the creativity first and foremost has to happen from a company saying what what is the goal I'm trying to mm. achieve, and what is in the best interest of my customer, whether that's a business, a merchant, a partner an end user, you know, what, what is the benefit to that individual or to that business that I as a provider can, can give to them? And think backwards as to what some of the opportunities and advantages are to eliminate some of the inefficiencies and some of the, the challenges with moving money, you know, especially globally today. And I would say, it, you know, it's not an unregulated field, right? Because all of our customers are regulated. Mm-hmm. Many of the people probably listening to your podcast are very regulated. Therefore, even though the crypto universe in general may not by definition be regulated, they, you know, these companies can only work with partners who are regulated. So regulation shouldn't be a hindrance. It shouldn't be a hamper. It should just be a clarification and a, and a trustworthiness kind of anointment you know, of any partner. So I would sum it up to say, be creative with what the end customer or your merchant customer needs. At the same time, you know, look for and work with regulated and reliable partners who can give you that clarity and certainty, you know, that they're treating the business and treating money and treating your customers with the same level of certainty and trustworthiness that you would want uh, to be able to provide to your own end customers. Got it. And there seems to be like an accepted um, truth. Uh, I don't know if this is true, but it seems to be accepted um, that the way the traditional industry is going to leg into crypto or blockchain or whatever you want to call it, bank chain, the way we call it here at Toshi, um, it, it's going to be through stablecoin. Um, can you address that statement? Do you think that's true? Uh, I think it's one of the places where businesses and customers truly understand what they're talking about. Um, and I don't think stable coins by definition are in the mainstream yet or even fully understood. But when you explain to someone that a stable coin is a dollar, you know, in our case, you know, one dollar in equals one dollar of digital, you know, USDP out. That's something I think people can put their 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 brains around. Um, I think for stable coins, it's not a matter of, of if anymore, 
but when and how and what are the use cases that come up uh, for stable coins to really be viable. You know, and when you look at how you know digital dollars have, have started to evolve, it's a great indicator, I think, to the Fed, you know, that that privately issued stable coins could really further the strength of US dollars broadly and then provide additional use cases, additional value and utility to the, the, the viability you know, of a US dollar. You know, if you think about moving money around the world globally, if you think about moving money fast and for free um, and eliminating you know, inefficiencies along the way, um, and again, providing that really good use case to an end customer, I think that's what the Federal Reserve wants right? with, with a digital dollar. I think that's what we would want. And I think for many of the customers we speak to, especially the very, very regulated ones, that's exactly the type of experience they're looking to provide to their business customers, to their consumer customers. And you know, a, a great example, we're working on this right now with, with a company, MasterCard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a public pilot that they've been running to really build the infrastructure to allow them to settle faster with their merchants and issuers right, using stablecoin so that a small business owner can get paid faster from those credit card receipts and you know the end user will get a better you know product as a result so it's a very good example of of a very traditional business that's found a way to take stablecoin and bridge the gap between the acquiring world the issuer world the network world mm-hmm. but to just really at the end of the day provide a better experience for everyone Got it. So I'd like to drill further down, I guess, into some of the other use cases that you guys are seeing um, for stable coins. Um, you mentioned the MasterCard um, example. Can you give some others? Yeah. I mean, it's already been announced, but PayPal, you know, has discussed that they're going to be launching a stable coin um, using our, you know, white label USDP, you know, as the infrastructure. Um, if you think about what PayPal is, it's one of the largest networks in the world of mm-hmm. consumers and businesses. So the ability for individuals to send money to anyone around the world in their network um, and to be able to do that instantly, the ability for an individual to pay a business um, with stablecoin, the ability for that business to potentially pay someone, whether it could be an employee or a customer, or it could be you know, a loyalty program or a cash back program uh, to be able to do that digitally. You know, I think it's one of the simplest examples you know, that we've seen. And very exciting time because we've seen a lot of others come into the pipeline for our team now starting to really fully understand what stablecoin can do to, again, not only open up markets broadly, but to add security, to add safety. Um, even if you look at you know the remittance corridor between the US and Latin America, um, mm-hmm. amazing opportunity for people to be able to send money back and forth to family members, to friends, to acquaintances, um, and again, to do it in a really safe, secure way. Uh, so I think we'll see the proliferation of these use cases expand dramatically. You know, we're seeing gaming marketplaces come into play. We're seeing, you know, regular uh, e-commerce marketplaces come in because I think they all view stablecoin the same as the same thing, which is an ability to do commerce faster, easier, more global and more secure uh, than they probably are able to do today. I'm curious, like, you know, it sounds like uh, some of those use cases are coming to you as opposed to the sales team going out and, and selling it. Like, what does the push-pull look like on that? I mean, listen, I, I, I as a sales guy at heart, um, it's weird to see that we have such inbound demand. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to make this a commercial, you know, about us. But um, I think the reality is when you see one person move in the financial space, it opens the door and gives that that hope that, hey, if one can do it, anyone can do mm-hmm. it. And sometimes that's because there there may have been concern about regulation or you know whether this would would actually drive adoption. 
And I think when they see, you know, how regulated Paxos is and the level of transparency that we have both with the federal government, with our OCC trust, with the New York State Department of Financial Services and our trust mm-hmm. through New York and MTLs. But I, I think the reality is customers want to work with regulated partners. And there's a lot of scrutiny coming to Stablecoin today um, about what the reserve makeup of certain companies, you know, Stablecoin may be, whether that money is being reinvested, whether it's being lent out. We have a belief that Stablecoins should be 100% backed, you know, fully with cash and cash equivalents, that they shouldn't be rehypothecated, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be lent out. Um, and I think that gives certainty for other companies to say, okay, if it truly is a dollar, and I can remit for a dollar at any time in exchange for a dollar, then that's a company I, I would want to work with. So we're, we're very lucky to see that. Um, and I think we continue to be chosen by some of the largest, most respected fintech and financial service companies out there uh, because of the way we treat regulation and you know the way we're able to build kind of broad infrastructure um, along the way to do a lot more than just move money. But you know we could talk about that as well. Right. I see, I see how important regulation is. Um, before we move on to other things, though, um, we talked about payment networks, talked about the, the, the card companies. What about the traditional you know, financial institution, a bank? Um, mm-hmm. What's their role in sort of the emerging you know, crypto ecosystem? So you know, I think banks have to answer three questions at all times, which is number one, how do I retain my business customer? How do I retain my end user, my end consumer customer? Uh, and how do I retain the maximum amount of, of deposits right, from those individuals and businesses at any time? Uh, so you have to provide value. You have to offer value. Um, and I think the, one of the most common things we've heard from very traditional banks and financial service companies is that they see users leaving. They see deposits leaving. They see direct deposit going into competitors mm-hmm. uh, and other you know, digital wallets and digital bank accounts that's not coming in there. So when asked and to find out what, what's the reason, a lot of them point to crypto. A lot of those users point to crypto, uh, that they want to convert some of their pay into crypto, that they want to be able to easily purchase crypto or access U.S. dollars. Um, in a digital way, and they can't do that from their traditional interface. So uh, the demand that we see from banks tends to come around, how do I give access to my users, my end customer uh, to crypto? Um, Outside of the United States of America, we tend to see a lot of banks who want to be able to provide uh, dollar access um, to their end customers. And that's Mm -hmm. not always easy in some of those countries, but gaining access to a stable coin could be um, one of those ways. And, And I think banks are also always looking at how do they move money around their own ecosystem uh, in a faster, more efficient way. So settlements, you know, and just kind of large money movement in general is a great mm-hmm. opportunity for them to use stablecoin, either with their merchant partners, with their acquirer partners, or, you know, even within the bank itself. So it sounds like from what you're saying, Mike, is that doesn't sound like necessarily a threat to tradi- the role traditional banks play in the in the ecosystem. It doesn't even sound like you're describing a, a, a new role for these banks. Um, it just sounds like you're integrating some tools, right? I mean, am I, am I understanding that correctly? That that's you know, Zach. I think that's probably the the best way of putting it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's how banks should think about this, which is that this is not a bank becoming a, a a brand new company in a brand new industry. This is a bank offering financial type products to its end users and its end customers, businesses, whoever, to be able to do the similar banking activities that they've always been able to do with 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 just regular fiat cash, and you know, there are regulations around who can custody that and how that gets moved around. And, and that's very obvious, right? And that, that's why we have a very strong business because we're able to provide that custody, security and infrastructure and, 
you know, depository, you know, kind of provenance for people to feel really good about how that money is being moved, where it's being moved, how it's being protected. And I think banks should look at crypto as an additive opportunity to really enhance the experience of their of their customer because the customers keep saying the same thing. They don't necessarily want to go to all these other apps or platforms. They would probably prefer to keep their money all in one place. Mm-hmm. And the more money they have in one place, the more th- that consumer can enrich their own value from the bank. They can borrow against some of these assets. Maybe they can get a mortgage against them down the line. Maybe they buy a house with, with crypto and the bank can participate in that transaction. Whereas today, most of those banks are, are sitting on the sidelines watching that money move uh, without their participation in it. Are you seeing any FIs um, come to you saying like, we're really rethinking what it means to be a bank? Is there, is, are, 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 are you hearing from financial institutions that they're thinking along those lines? We, we definitely are. I think uh, it's coming to us in a few different buckets. Um, so a, a public announcement went out from Israel uh, a few weeks back that Bank Lumi, second mm-hmm. largest bank in Israel, um, is now offering crypto, ability to buy, sell, and hold crypto mm-hmm. um, through its app called Pepper. That's all powered by Paxos. It, it's an example of a very traditional bank, a very traditional institution, publicly traded on stock exchange to say, you know what, if we don't think about this and if we don't incorporate this, you know, we're going to be looked at like a dinosaur. And we don't want to fossilize, you know, when there's a chance to really move um, and move forward and to do it very, very quickly. But as you can imagine, banks tend to have the highest level of regulatory scrutiny and therefore can only and will only partner with companies that have a similar perspective uh, on regulation. And, you know, I think it's been really fun to to watch this process evolve um, from the inside of seeing banks now become much more not only amenable to the idea, but very excited about it. And then to be very creative about what are the ways that crypto and blockchain and stablecoin can enhance the user experience, can enhance the banking experience, and at the same time, you know, give them an opportunity to, to really build on, on technology uh, and to provide a better experience overall to everyone in their ecosystem. What are some of the, the challenges you're facing, I guess, internally in terms of scaling your growth, in terms of being able to meet the demands of, of some of these FIs? Um, what, what does that yeah. look like? Well, the, the, the basic answer is we're trying to hire. You know, we're growing like crazy. Um, we are an amazing business. And, and I think we're building really long-term technology and doing it in a, in a very nascent industry. So to me, that's a very exciting time. Uh, it's a very exciting place to be. Uh, but I think almost every technology company out there right now is dealing with the same challenge, which is just hiring enough really good people um, at the speed to meet the demand that we're seeing. Um, second thing is these customers are huge. They they have extremely stringent due diligence processes and checks that we have to go through, whether it be security, physical security, information security, mm-hmm. custodial security about where the money is being held, how is our crypto keys being managed, all that stuff. So we need to have all hands on deck to be able to support these deals, not only to win them, but most importantly, to help those companies become successful, launching whatever the product is. Um, in our ecosystem that they're using. So I, w- I would put in a plug to say, yes, Paxos is definitely hiring. We're always looking for great people. Um, and you know we're looking for people who really love to serve and support as an infrastructure, you know, the success of, of our partner customers to, to grow their business, to drive adoption with their end users and to, to participate again in, in really the future of finance. 
And what about your own career trajectory? If, if I'm not mistaken, you were at Square back in the in the heyday and then Compass, and it seemed like you had a you had a uh, a focus on SMB and, and 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 merchant services and stuff like that. Like, how how has your career trajectory evolved? Like, what was the stretch for you moving into this role? So, I mean, I wanted to get back into true fintech for you know for a while. I mean, Square is an amazing business, and you can't work under Jack Dorsey for for years and not become a believer uh, in, in the world of blockchain, especially you the in Bitcoin. Uh, you, it's easy to, it's easy <laughs> to. He's been right too many times. And, yeah, you know, I, I love what Jack has done. Um, at the same time, you know, to me, Square is an amazing business that was fun to watch grow and to scale up. Um, went off to Compass to, to take on a much broader set of roles and responsibilities, really running business units and P&Ls and building service organizations and doing more on the operational and revenue side. Um, in a business that has just exploded in size, you know, I think Compass will do seven billion in revenue or something um, this year. So getting to see it double, triple along the way, and to see through an IPO um, was incredible. As, as many people on your podcast will know, um, there's no cooler sound than the bell um, of the New York Stock Exchange. So uh, to be in there and see it and hear it is incredible. Um, but again, in, in all honesty, I wanted to get into the crypto world. To me, what Paxos represented was an opportunity to play the long-term, you know, focus on the space of building financial infrastructure and really to help replatform the infrastructure of the future of finance. And you know, I, I think the financial infrastructure system is, is old. You know, it's risky. You know, it, it's built on you know technology that I don't think anyone would build today. So it was really to you know. To fulfill the mission that Paxos talked about, you know, which is to enable trustworthy and instant movement of money, um, or really any asset, um, at the speed of the internet, and just thinking about what that could mean for the future of finance, technology, everything, um, is you know really incredible. And I love the infrastructure only perspective. You know, it puts us as a partner of mm-hmm. our customers versus competing with them for their end customers, and it's a way of thinking through, you know, long term, how do all assets move. To the blockchain, not just crypto. I think crypto is the, the first step, you know, but how do you move dollars? How do you move gold? How do you move real estate? How do you move securities? And many of these things we're doing today, um, and we'll look to continue to grow them. And, and that was exciting to me. And I, I think that would probably excite a lot of people, but it definitely tugged at me. I really appreciate that. And 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 just getting back to what you just said, like, I, I know you guys have a tokenized version of gold. Um, and there's has been talk about all these algorithmic uh, stable coins, like, everything seems to have a plus and a minus to it. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it feels like, you know, the, the dollar based, the fiat based, at least, uh, uh, stable coins are going to win out, but maybe you could talk a little bit about sort of that jockeying that's going on there. Listen, there, there are different, there are definitely different goals that people have in the world for, mm-hmm. for their money. You know, some people want to gamble it. Some people want to risk it. Some people want to, to be in for the really high beta oscillations mm-hmm. that'll happen in the market because they want to catch, you know, something on the upswing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for us, a stable coin is a stable coin. It's meant to be stable. It's meant to be a dollar. A dollar in is meant to be a dollar uh, when you go to take it out with no uncertainty or risk that if everyone wanted their dollars at the same time, uh, that people would be able to get them. And, you know, we are, we're regulated by the New York DFS. Um, which means our issuance, reserves of our stablecoin, everything related to stablecoin is overseen actively by the DFS. And to change any of that would actually require express regulatory approval. Mm. I think that's what most people want with their dollars. 
Now, that doesn't mean people might not want a chance at a 50 or 100 or 200% or 5,000% return. But I think the way you treat that money is different from the way you treat your cash and, and yeah. the money that you want to have there the next day. You know, our reserves are audited. Again, they're backed one-to-one cash and cash equivalents. They're held bankruptcy remote. Um, algorithmic deposits and algorithmic reserves. I think it's a fascinating thing. I think it's a fascinating space, but it would be very hard for me to go tell my mom, you know, go put your $100 in here because maybe it'll be 200 in a year or maybe it won't exist um, in a year. That, that's a hard place to be. It doesn't mean there's not a room for that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, again, people want certainty. They want stability. And, you know, I think that's why we've seen such mass demand, uh, especially recently, you know, for our stable coin, because I think it's something people understand they could trust. And that trust is backed by, you know, our regulators as well. I have one last question for you, Mike, before I let you sure. go. Um, we started out talking about regulation, about, you know, sort of a lack of clarity there. I think one of the things that's also happening is uh, regulators are trying to figure out who's who's in charge here. Um, can you talk about the dynamic that's playing out there? Like what what's happening? How, how do you see that playing out? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I can only speak from our perspective, but, mm-hmm. you know, we would say regulators are, are our partner. And, and they're meant to be enablers, you know, of new technology and spaces. But at the same time, they are the, the people, you know, ensuring the security of the end customer, of the money at stake. And, and they're also there to ensure transparency, that people are aware of what they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it. And I think that's actually a really critical role um, of regulators everywhere. You know, that said, we, we seek to continue to be a partner, to help educate regulators all over the world. We work very closely. With many of them, we're licensed in the U.S., we're licensed in Singapore, we're licensed in Latin America, and these licenses are not easy, you know, to get. Um, and I, I think it, it, the way you get them is by being very transparent uh, and by being that partner. And for us, you know, our goal is not to go, you know, win the Bitcoin game or the Ethereum game. Our goal is to really build long-term infrastructure mm-hmm. and to help the the entire financial ecosystem move at the speed of the internet and to really help individuals benefit you know, from really what is the future, you know, of finance. And, and it's how the internet evolves, you know, it went from moving information, right, to, to moving content, you know, and interacting across multiple platforms and what you would probably call web two, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, as we discussed earlier, web three, you know, is really the interaction in real time of information, of value, right, mm-hmm. of, of people, of assets. And, you know, we think there's a great opportunity for that. And I'm sure regulators want to see it done right. Um, and we agree and we want to do it with them. And, and I think our customers come to us asking for the same level of, of transparency and security. It's been great chatting with you, Mike. I appreciate you joining us on the Tearsheet podcast today. Thank you, Zach. Appreciate the time.